Whether you're just looking to stay warm during a hunt or need maximum concealment, the clothing you wear can make or break a hunt. At MidwayUSA.com, we understand hunting clothing has come a long way with more meticulously crafted camo patterns, advanced scent control technologies, and weatherproof options to withstand the elements. Hunters have to wait until their favorite season, but shouldn't wait on gear, which is why MidwayUSA offers super fast shipping. When you're ready for your next system, log on to MidwayUSA.com. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. When did we stop using a travel advisor? Travelsmiths waiving fees for Warden's Watch listeners and working with first responders to give them discounts on travel needs. Call them, 732-899-8400 or travelsmiths.com. That's T-R-A-V-E-L-S-M-I-T-H-S dot com and see how they can assist you. 33 years in the business does make a difference. Call Sally and give her a chance. I think you will be impressed. This is Game Warden Wayne Saunders and let them know Warden's Watch Podcast sent you. Wish you could fish more, anywhere, anytime. Rod Geeks, a St. Croix Rods partner, has developed a 42-inch one-piece travel rod designed and built with the same technology found in St. Croix Rods. This travel rod is offered as a kit that comes with the RG42 rod, spinning reel, fishing line, pliers, and tackle tray. All in a case with space for your wallet, phone, and fishing license. Just grab and go. Perfect to keep in your pickup, car, or RV. This shorty performs much like a longer rod, but is compact enough for easy storage and for on-the-go use. Make this the summer you fish more. RodGeeks.com Guidefitter is the industry network for professional outdoor guides and outfitters. The trusted destination for consumers seeking and sharing guided hunting and fishing experiences of a lifetime. And the enterprise influencer marketing platform for outdoor brands. Guidefitter and its members represent the pulse of the guided hunting and fishing industry. Guidefitters Outdoor Partners provide discounts to select types of outdoor professionals, including game wardens, members of the military, guides, outfitters, and other outdoor professionals. Over 145 brand partners and counting. Gear across many categories, including packs, footwear, clothing, flashlights, knives, optics, even firearms and ammo. 
For more information, go to guidefitter.com slash wardenswatch. That's wardenswatch, all one word. I'm Game Warden Wayne Saunders, and I'm a member of Guidefitter. This podcast is brought to you by Maine Operation Game Thief. Please join me, Game Warden Wayne Saunders, and other Game Wardens on our adventures, protecting wildlife, saving lives, and having fun, all while serving the public and the natural resources of our planet. Listen to the tales and experiences of those who work in the outdoors while being entertained with stories about encounters with poachers, wildlife investigation, murder investigation, near-death experiences, search and rescue missions, wildlife interactions from game wardens around the country and around the world. When I retired, I realized I couldn't let go of that legacy, but rather wanted to share the passion, the commitment, and the stories of those men and women that call themselves game wardens. This is Game Warden, Wayne Saunders, and this is Warden's Watch. Episode 28, Part 2, Sergeant Glenn Lucas, Snow Machines. And now we're going to get into some accidents. We're going to have a little follow-up on some pursuits. We're going to get into some accidents. And what you don't get the opportunity to feel is the cold. Let's face it, when it's snow machine season, it's not warm. It's not lukewarm. It's not temperate. It's generally cold. On some of those nice days, the 30 30 degree weather days, when it's just above freezing or at freezing, those are pretty awesome days. But when we investigate snow machine accidents, generally it's dark, it's cold. The weather is just uh, winter weather. You know, I don't think you get the feel for it is trying to fight the weather when you do investigations because it can be snowing just a little to cover up crucial evidence for these snowmobile investigations. The ones that Glenn and I talk about, that we were fortunate that a lot of these cases came together based on evidence. They were able to go and look at, photograph, measure, get all the details, even seize a sled that's evidence in the accident so they can preserve that so in the future they can bring it in a warm environment and have it taken off piece by piece by the crime lab and then process so we can get those minute paint, flex, hair, fibers from snow machine clothing that we've actually collected off snow machines in the past put this all together to do a case so we can actually put those elements back in place and we can tell you what exactly happened based on the evidence. And that's just so, so important. So when we finish up this podcast with a, a little ride with the governor, Glenn had the opportunity to ride with Governor Chris Sununu, and that's just a gr- great opportunity for Glenn, great opportunity for snowmobiling, and a great opportunity for the North Country to, to let the North Country know that he was here. He came up to experience one of the most, the biggest economic impacts of the North Country is snowmobiling in the winter, four-wheeling in the summer, certainly bring those people up to recreate. And again, fishing game in New Hampshire where the police in the woods, where the troopers on the snowmobiles in the winter were running radar, were making DWI arrests, were doing accident investigations, where the troopers in the woods, where the police in the woods just to, to come up and spend some time with us and to spend some time in the North Country to see what is the vital impacts. And these impacts go on nationwide. The whole northern part of the country has influx of snowmobiles, no matter where you are. We're talking about New Hampshire, but Maine, 
New York, Vermont. A snowmobile is such a valuable piece of equipment to a game warden. If there's snow, we need a snowmobile. We need to go out there. We need to check on the fishermen. We need to check on the health of the deer. We need to interact with those people that are interacting with the outdoors as game wardens nationwide. Whether they do an accident investigation, whether they do DWI investigations, the snowmobile in itself is such a unique tool. And it's so important, the more remote you are, to have a very good running snow machine. Because if you get left out there and you have no way of communicating, it could be 24 hours before someone comes to you. You could literally spend a cold winter's night by yourself in the middle of nowhere because your snowmobile broke down. Generally, you know, we had methods of letting people know where we were and when we were going, our expectations to be back. But there are still holes in communication, even in this day and age, with cell phones, with uh, digital radio systems. We still have holes, and the, the mountains create those holes as much as their beauty. They create radio holes. They're probably a lot less than there used to be, but they're still there. There's still communication gaps. And that is... Um, pretty important to remember as guys that patrol as well. I can think of uh, several stories and I won't go into that because we're going to go into several stories with Glenn and I and, and mostly Glenn about working snowmobiles, whether it's accidents, investigations, or, you know, we got a pursuit left uh, to tell. So I hope you enjoy episode 28, uh, Sergeant Glenn Lucas Snowmobiles. I, I look back at my career, and we haven't lost. I can't remember losing a runner. Don't jinx me, man. I'm getting old. I know. <laughs> I'm getting and old. And I can think of investigations. The Gilcrest comes to my head. What an investigation that was. You know, Doug almost got hit. Mm-hmm. It, it, was, it was a crazy, crazy time where the guy got away. Yeah. And again, we used every resource, you know, from the riders that were riding in the party yeah. to relatives in the area to just we, – we never – ever ever gave up and we caught the yeah. the perpetrator it, it can even go down to little stuff which goes back to the class we teach you know the the distinction of things on a snowmobile skis mm. people customize their sled they have specific skis right the tracks how many studs are there i mean that orange missing? sled stood out huh? oh yeah that but was... you can you can track a snowmobile mm-hmm. you, know, you if can you're track in a, a remote snow. location you know and some kid runs from you because he's unregistered even if he's out of sight you can stay on that track yeah. and when you get to a junction you f- if it hasn't been run over by 10 snowmobiles you're still on it yeah or if it has you try to find the exit of it just mm-hmm. like the story of the horse bash go to the outside find that ski yeah with maybe a missing skag or you know. I, yeah even you know i remember a chase marty and i had and the guy went into maine and we stopped and then two days later marty arrested him really because so, we knew oh, who he was yeah so, that's uh, a good story. Uh, yeah, the, <laughs> we won't talk about that. One. That's a, a, that's how far away we, we, my my former lieutenant taught me how to work snowmobiles, yeah. and yeah, that that pursuit ended up going into Maine, and we called it off because of lack of jurisdiction. And yep. uh, yeah, but the kid lived locally, and oh, yeah. Marty knew him well, and yeah, and he got arrested for it. Yep. Just plain and simple. And and I think that's what that's what is kind of fun too about snowmobile stuff. I mean, chases don't happen all the time, but no. You kind of get to work on your skills of interviews and drive mm-hmm. in the off season of hunting. You know, like hunting right. and fishing is is what every warden loves best. And um, it, when you when hunting season's over, you're like, oh man, I'm not gonna be able to interview anybody or mm. do a search warrant for a while. You know, and then all of a sudden, hunt, snowmobile season comes, and you're like, 
oh, I still get to do this stuff. You yeah. know, that fun, interpersonal, you know, doing the job, the nitty-gritty and getting lies and catching people. And Yeah, which yeah. Ro- rotates into another story, but I want to get one more pursuit story with you and Bob Mancini where oh. Bob takes the snowmobile and <laughs> you go down the trail in a cruiser. Yeah, I think that yeah. goes back to the younger warden days. The younger warden yeah. days, yes. But I, I like those. Again, it shows you guys... Yeah, you're committed. Yeah. You're committed, and uh, and just uh, it lets people know how committed we are at sometimes. And sometimes we can look back and say, "Yeah, I'm glad it worked out the way it did." <laughs> <laughs> uh, the best part of this story is, uh, I think it was. I know it was a weekday. I mean, we're talking Tuesday through Thursday because fr- Mondays and Fridays are weekends to us up here. But Bob gets an oil change. He's in a different district, but borders me. He gets an oil change in my district. And I said, Bob, jump in with me. We'll go up to Arrow and, and work that road problem that you always had us work. You know, they don't, they can't read a sign apparently, so they ride mm-hmm. on the road. So we're sitting there and we're chatting over lunch and, and Bob goes, uh, hey, those sleds are unregistered. I'm like, yeah, I think they are. So I pull my cruiser up. Now, mind you, it's next to a state road. Across the road's a very big popular snowmobile trail. And these guys are getting gas. Bob leaves his cru- my cruiser door open. He's in my pasture seat. He leaves the door open because he's just going to run up, and I'm, we're thinking, oh, my stickers are right here. Mm-hmm. As soon as Bob gets 10 steps away from the cruiser, this guy sees him. He's on a Yamaha. He sees him. He starts up and rockets across the road onto the trail. And Bob is kind of halfway between the cruiser and halfway between these two other guys that are left. I just, again, react. Luckily, I had a little experience behind me this time. I put it in drive, and I look, and I, I'm like, I'm committing. So I floor it. I put it in four-wheel drive. I cross the road, and I launch over the snowbank <laughs> into the snowmobile trail with my cruiser and uh, put chase to the snowmobile down the trail for a little while. Now, trail characteristics is it's, it's an open field. It's groomed. It's really hard. Not Very limited snow. Yep. Calculated Packed decision. Pretty heavy, too. I've been riding this trail for literally 20 years when mm-hmm. I was, since I was a kid. So I know the field's going to end. Right. It's gonna go you've, got a, you've got a limited amount of here. Yeah. Certainly let him know that the blue lights are on and there's a vehicle probably behind him and yeah. he should stop. Yeah. Uh, blue lights and sirens are mm-hmm. going. Uh, and mind you, uh, door's still open on the passenger side as I launch over the snowbank. And as I get through the field, here comes the groomer, the state groomer. And her eyes are huge because here comes a green Chevy pickup to the floor, tires spinning, chasing a snowmobile down the road. I get to where the field... Trail. I'm sorry, the trail, yeah. yeah. Um, and here comes the, the, tra- the well, trail. I will give you the, the, the trails up in that area look like roads. They look like roads, yeah. So the, the field starts necking down into the woods, and I'm not dumb. I'm not driving down the trail. Well, I'm, I'm not dumb. I'm not that dumb. <laughs> <laughs> so I realize, one, you just can't stop in the middle of a snowmobile trail and try to back up. So I turn quickly to not lose my momentum he's into the trail he i lost him in the cruiser and i start driving backwards at a good rate of speed to keep my momentum going so i don't get stuck the door is closed now thankfully and just as i'm about to gain some speed to go back up over this berm into the road here comes bob mancini and bob's a big boy he's 200 pounds rugged pretty rugged italian boy over the snowbank he comes on a confiscated sled from one of the two guys that this guy was riding with. And all I remember thinking is, go get him, Bob. And then I realized he's got no gloves on, no jacket, no helmet. And then I'm thinking, okay, I didn't make a great decision, but this one is, is no better than mine. <laughs> but you can see he is determined. So here goes mm-hmm. Bob on this mid-90s 
Indy Trail 500, an absolute junker, and off he roars. He doesn't stop to wave. He's off. I'm thinking, okay, tag team, you're in. So I roll up. Here's one guy standing there with no sled, and the other guy sitting on a sled puzzled. Because training would tell us at the next junction, just down in the woods, that guy's waiting that for guy's us. That guy's waiting for his buddies. Yep. That, that would be good. And that's what Bob was thinking. Hey, mm-hmm. he's got away from the one. Yeah. Now he's going to wait. So I roll up over the snowbank, and here's these guys, and we have a little discussion, and I tell them that they're probably going to go to jail if they don't tell me who this guy is because if I charge him and blah, blah, blah. And one guy balks a little bit and says, we're in the middle of nowhere, and you can't transport me. Well, the first time in my career in downtown Errol, here comes a state trooper. Not backing me up because I didn't call it in. Just patrolling by. What, how many times have you seen a, war, a trooper in Errol? Yeah, no. It's Handful? Li- yeah. So I, patrolling. Here, and, and, I, and I said to the guy, look, there's your ride right there. <laughs> <laughs> and the guy turned and he's like, uh, I know his name. And he gives me his name. Uh, Perfect. Thank mm-hmm. you. Probably 10 minutes goes by. Here comes Bob back. Doesn't have the guy. He lost him. And Bob looks like Frosty the Snowman. <laughs> He's got frozen snot. His hands are red. I mean, that poor guy's in pain. Yeah. Because it was cold. Mm-hmm. And he goes to my cruiser and warms up. And one, is he cold? But he's mad because he mm-hmm. didn't get him. We dealt with these guys. They became pretty decent guys. We told mm-hmm. them, listen, where'd you park? You know, the niceties have come back because they're not bad people. Right. They're cooperating. They're cooperating. Yeah. They weren't real happy when we wrote them a ticket for unregistered because they were registered too. And the guy said, well, I shouldn't get a ticket. You borrowed my sled. <laughs> yeah. So that was, that was pretty – we got a good chuckle out of that. But they were decent. We actually met them back in, lo and behold, Nash Stream again. That's where they unloaded from. Right. So we call – were you on that day? I was. And Mark was on. So we call, and a bunch of guys are at the office in Lancaster, and Bob and I go, and we're sitting on the truck in the parking lot. It's the only, one of the few trucks in the parking lot on a weekday, and uh, we're waiting for this runner to come back. He didn't come back. We sit there an hour or two. Then here comes his buddies because it's probably an hour and a half snowmobile ride mm-hmm. from Harold to Nash. Here comes his their buddies. And I said, where's your friend? Oh, I don't know. We haven't seen him. We haven't talked to him. I said, well, let me tell you, that truck is registered to him because we ran the plate. So that ain't going anywhere. You are not taking his truck. That's mine. <laughs> Which reminds me of another hunting story we'll have to discuss <laughs> another day. Um, so we're sitting there for a better part of an hour. And finally, his buddy comes over. Hey, he just called me. I said, where is he? Ah, he's in Lancaster somewhere, but he doesn't know where. So I send Sergeant Ober down. Hey, Mark, he's somewhere, somewhere in Lancaster. Sure enough, Mark's driving to Lancaster. He comes across the snowmobile trail. There's this guy sitting on the blue Yamaha smoking a cigarette. Mark says he puts it down the window. I forget his name. Hey, you so-and-so? Yeah. You're under arrest. <laughs> uh, so, and I mean, that was an hours and hours of it. So I think it was a Wednesday or something. Just a... We call it a typical Wednesday. Yeah, yeah exactly. So was, and, and again, it's just the, just the drive and motivation to, to do our job and do it well and, and have fun at it. You know? And I guess being a, being a game warden where you call it, you say it all the time, I listen to your podcast, you know, we're the police <laughs> of the woods. You, know? you say it a lot. And we are, and I guess I'm, I'm, uh, I'm selfish to say that I really enjoy being an officer, being a game warden, to me, is like the, the best thing in the world in the law enforcement field because we get to do that job, but we get to do uh, more education than, you know, hard enforcement. I'm not, I'm not chasing, a, you know, a, a serial rapist or a serial killer. Mm-hmm. I mean, and kudos to any officer who does because... Absolutely. I mean, I feel like I'd have the same drive then, but mm-hmm. I get to do stuff that's fun, but also just as rewarding. Absolutely. You know? And um, it, it was, it's, just, it's just stories like that that reminds you that, 
it's a uh, it's a really fun job and you know today we're talking about snowmobile stuff but it's uh it's it's really rewarding when they you see the look in their face and they're like man you just don't give up no and no, i tell absolutely. them the truth i do not like to lose mm-hmm. <laughs> and generally we don't lie that was your truck yeah mm-hmm. yeah yep that was part of the evidence that we were going to secure uh, you know snowmobiling it's so important to the economics of a lot of areas, especially northern New Hampshire, trail closings and everything. I think of how serious sometimes we take it because, you know, the clubs take things seriously because trails are getting closed. And you take, and you have a little mechanical background too. So noise with pipes yeah. was an issue, is an issue. And you've taken that, again, seriously because it's it's going to have an economic impact on northern New Hampshire and any place else it goes because that'll close trails on private property and that'll cause economic you know problems for the whole area and sometimes you know that's that's what influences how we deal with things and it's not a bad thing because yeah we we don't want the economics to fail in the north country either because we live here too right and and i think in new hampshire it's really unique we have a decent amount of state land and public land Mm -hmm. but it's not all connected so yeah a state trail will never shut down hopefully but i way more than the majority of our trails are on totally private land totally private so um when landowners complain of noise and and you know which is really based or, on or off trail riding off too trail that's riding. another huge topic right now in the snowmobile world you know when a when a private landowner complains about noise they usually complain to the people that they gave permission to first which is the clubs mm-hmm. the clubs go to the landowners and get permission slips can we use your land for trail yes and then when they have a complaint, they go to the club first. Club goes sometimes to the state snowmobile agencies, NHSA, but then they come to us because we're the enforcement for the state. Mm-hmm. Um, others, divisions and departments help us, but we're the primary. Mm-hmm. Um, so when they complain about that noise, we're obligated to enforce the laws. And for since I've been hired, we've taken it pretty seriously. The first few years, it was warnings were starting to stop and tickets were starting to be given because we had enough and People don't usually take warnings the way they're supposed to. They just say, oh, I'll just try to get a warning next time. And mm-hmm. they, they just don't work a lot right. with snowmobiles. And, and there's statistics that prove that warnings don't, aren't effective. It doesn't, it, doesn't, it doesn't change their behavior. It doesn't change behavior. No. no. That's why we write tickets, because yeah. that changes behavior. Yep. When you, you know, and, it, and we can start off with a warning. Yeah. I mean, generally, we try to get that news out when laws change. It's always the warning to, to give that that change to, so people learn and everything. So, but I think we got the the, the message out there oh, about yeah. noise. Oh yeah, and then then we had to start addressing it. And and when speaking of noise, it's it's the exhaust. These mm. you know sleds in general, especially nowadays, even a two stroke which burns oil compared to a four stroke that doesn't. You change your oil in a four stroke, and two strokes you actually put oil in it burns it. Even a two stroke is super quiet nowadays. Mm-hmm. Almost all of them are really quiet. Some trail riders, but more backcountry riders have this this desire to put a loud exhaust on it it takes maybe 15 minutes to change a few springs you put on this hundred multi hundred dollar exhaust system and it is loud does it increase performance too (laughs) and you know to blanket it i would say no what it does change is the horsepower rating which is based on power to rate ratio because it's getting more air it's breathing more uh with say you have 100 horsepower because the sled weighs 500 pounds well, if you drop it to, I'll go an extreme, 450 pounds, well, you're going to have more horsepower because it weighs less. So that same engine is pushing less weight, therefore it has more horsepower. Oh. So it's this, it's this thing of 
oh, well, I, I took my stock exhaust off. I lost six pounds. Yeah, let me tell you, pints a pound world around, you hit run with half a tank of gas, and that's more than six pounds. Right. So I, I learned this one from Eric Fluette. CEO Fluette is, they call it the weight game. Off-trail riders, you weigh less, you float better, and you go further or higher, right? Mm-hmm. To play the weight game with taking parts off and replacing them with lighter parts, you need to take it to an extreme. And that's, we're talking replacing bolts from steel, aluminum to titanium. Wow. I mean, big, big money. You, you want to play the weight game and you shave 150 pounds off a sled? That's drastic. That's a horsepower change. Mm. These guys that put a wrap, a, a sticker wrap in their sled and change the exhaust for six pounds changes nothing. It is, be, it is lower than negligible. Mm. Um, it just becomes a noise issue, and that's mm-hmm. where we address it. Right. So this past year, it, again, we've been in force over 10 years, and it seems just people don't change them. It used to be a $75 ticket, seventy-four forty technically. Mm-hmm. And if you recall, and I know you know, when you were on, there was a mockery of it. The club. The club. Facebook club was created, the seventy-four forty club. Mm-hmm. And that did not go over well with the public, landowners, the clubs was, yeah it was bad mm-hmm. because we made a mockery of that our fines were a joke yeah uh i always joke with people just with the exhaust you have that on there for attention here i am you got my attention you make a mockery of us on facebook for attention well guess what happened in this in this case the clubs pushed it to the state snowmobile association to the legislature and now it's a 248 dollars fine and that has not made people very happy since i've written many of them so far this year People get it, I think. I think it's going to be effective. I think it's going to change the people that are on the fence. Mm-hmm. The people like, ah, or are they yeah. going to make a two forty eight club? Yeah, <laughs> and then it'll be a five hundred dollar club, I'm sure. Right, but, um, but I, I think you have the distinct honor of the only game warden <laughs> to do a search warrant based on a loud exhaust. Yeah, yeah, um, and that's a. That's a fun story. I feel like oh, that's a, that's a fun story when you're the guy been, doing it. Yeah, we've we been talking. We've like? been talking an hour and twelve minutes. <laughs> People and, are going to be bored. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, no, I think okay. they'll be on the edge of their seats, man, because uh, uh, this is this is good stuff. This is uh, snowmobile stuff, and uh, you know, brap brap. Is yeah, that's that? right? <laughs> yeah. Um, so that was that was a couple year two years ago. Uh, it was the first year of the Skidoo eight fifties. If you spring ordered them, eight fifties, the engine size. I've been writing a bunch of tickets, and this guy went by on a really loud sled. I didn't have time to address the issue because mm-hmm. I'm writing other ones. And, and commonly, some like, well, what about him? And I say, well, I, I can only do so much in, in one second. So I made a mental note of what he looked like. Later on that night, I go for a night patrol, and sure enough, he passes me again, and I'm not stopped with anybody else. So I whip around, and I pull him over. This guy, <laughs> This guy gives me just the typical greatest lie in the world oh i bought it that way yeah okay how many times have you heard that i bought it that way that's that's a normal go-to that's the normal go-to which means nothing to me mm-hmm. it's the laws operate it not how you purchased it um so i let them go down that road sometimes you let people walk themselves down you give them every opportunity it's not railroading it's not forcing you give them every opportunity to tell the truth and if they decide to go the wrong way it's really fun for us mm-hmm. um so I asked him, I said, oh, you bought it that way? Yeah. I said, this is a spring order only sled, so where did you buy it? And then he realized that I wasn't an idiot. Mm-hmm. Oh, I, uh, I bought it off Craigslist. I'm like, so someone spring ordered a sled, which means you buy it in the spring the year before, and then you, it's already at the dealership in the, in the fall. And you get special benefits by doing that. You got it. I mean, we're talking a fourteen, well, probably $15,000 sled, mm. and someone bought it and then sold it on Craigslist. I don't think so, mm-hmm. but okay. 
So he tells me, yeah, that's how I bought it. I said, okay. He says, yeah, and I got a ticket last weekend for it as well. And I said, and you didn't change it? No, I don't have the stock exhaust. Okay, that's somewhat believable. If you bought it that way, you don't have the stock one, but you got a ticket. I said, okay, so let me tell you, you already have a ticket and you haven't paid it. Yep, but, but you bought it that way. Yep, okay. I'm going to give you a warning, but if you're lying to me, then we'll be seeing each other again. Oh, no, sir. No, sir. Uh, no, I'm not lying. Okay. Off he goes. I, I felt very confident. I shouldn't say I, sh- I knew. But I, I made sure I took a picture of the ticket, and Sergeant Alex Lopeshansky wrote the guy a ticket the weekend before. And we have a general rule. I call us the fun police because that's what we are, is sometimes people believe it's fun to push the limits, and we have to bring them back a little bit to keep them safe. And I tell you, if you get a ticket on Saturday for a loud exhaust, I give you the weekend. I'm not, I'm not a jerk. Listen, you're up mm-hmm. here for the weekend. You don't have your stock one. Just be polite and show this ticket to the next officer, and, and you'll get leniency for the weekend. Next weekend, no, you get another ticket. So I called Alex that Monday. Hey, Alex, do you remember this guy? And uh, he's like, yeah, I actually took a bunch of notes on that one. And he said he, he spring-ordered the sled himself. He was so excited. It was the first year of the 850. <laughs> he's going, and I am taking notes like it's my job. Mm-hmm. Okay, what else he say? Uh, yeah, he said that, you know, when I asked about the exhaust, he said he bought the exhaust online and couldn't wait to try it out. He understands it's a little loud. So I'm writing this all down, and I'm, I'm just excited. And you were the LT. I was, yeah. yes. I got, I got all those phone calls. Yeah. Yes. Yes, uh. you did. And uh, so I applied Approved, for a, Proved your warrant before yeah. it went down to the judge. That's right. Yeah. I applied for a search warrant first through you mm-hmm. for, for uh, credibility, and I knew where his camp was. I knew where his, because, of course, in the conversation, he, I asked yep. him some questions, and he, uh, he told me that he keeps a sled in a trailer. Or red. So... I put my warrant together, drove up to look at the residence, the camp. I identify the trailer, all from plain view in the roadway, public mm-hmm. road. And I apply for the warrant to, yeah. one, look in the trailer, two, confiscate the sled, and three, open the snowmobile to identify the illegal exhaust. It gets approved by the judge. I am all excited. Because mm-hmm. it's the weekdays, we don't have a lot going on in the winter other than checking right. some ice fishermen or a trapper. Cleaning up all the reports from the weekend. You got it. Mm-hmm. That's a, yeah. Which, yeah, you never did. No, no, you always really. created more paperwork during the weekday. Yeah. <laughs> I'm real good at catching them. I like other people to assist me with cleaning up. Um, if you only had somebody. Yeah, if I only had somebody. Someday. Um, so Mark Ober got involved, Sergeant Ober. He mm-hmm. was like, I'll go with you to do that warrant. So we drive up. I think it was a Thursday. because It, got it the was. Warrant it Monday, was coming Tuesday. into the weekend. Coming yeah. into the weekend. Mm-hmm. And like I said, Friday's a weekend to us. So we run up on a Thursday. I bring my enclosed trailer. We get search warrants legit. We open the trailer, and lo and behold, it's this huge trailer enclosed, and there's only that. The only sled in there is the one that I need. Sure enough, I started. Mark started up, actually, and he, he yelled, this thing is obnoxious. I'm like, yes, it is. <laughs> so he backs it out. We load it into my trailer, and in the middle of the trailer, I leave a copy of the warrant, which is required by law, with mm-hmm. my business card. Right on the floor of the trailer, everything he needs legally is right there with the information to get a hold of me. This is Thursday. Friday, don't the phone calls start coming in. Mm-hmm. First to you, mm-hmm. then to me, mm-hmm. and... Uh, I found this is fast forwarding what he actually what actually happened to him. He says he got up Friday morning to camp, didn't look in his trailer, you know, stayed Friday night. Or it must have been Thursday. Thursday night. It was yeah, because we went up Friday. Yeah. So we went up. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> so we did. We executed the warrant Thursday mid morning. Mm-hmm. Thursday night he must have passed us on Route Three, and we had his sled and he didn't know it. So he says he stays Thursday night, wakes up Friday to ride, gets all geared up, it calls his buddy, I'll be down, opens the trailer, and he says. The, uh, the sled's gone. He's like, my sled's gone. This is him telling me the story later. 
And he says, so I got, I got so pissed, I closed the trailer, and I went to my buddies because I knew they were playing a prank on me. Yep. He says, I go in, and he says, very funny, a-holes, where's my sled? And he says, they looked at me like I was an idiot. And they're like, dude, we don't have your sled. We don't have it. He's like, uh, then who has it? And they're like, we don't know. So he tells <laughs> me, he goes back to the trailer, opens it up, and walks in, and he says he sees my search warrant and my business card. And he says he realized that the lie was over. <laughs> so Mark and I rewinding now do the warrant identify the illegal exhaust the guy calls friday you mm-hmm. it was a big to do we yep. go up we yep. serve him paper i don't know how many times i oh talk to him gosh. and then we actually go physically up there yep we serve him paperwork he wants to take care of it that day mm-hmm. because oh court wasn't open that day he, right he was headed i almost felt bad for a, a minute not more um <laughs> He was headed to the Canada, Gatsby. the Gatsby Peninsula, to yep. do a snowmobile trip that he planned and spent thousand dollars on, and blah blah blah. And Wasn't it, that like the following week? So that's why. A, yep. Yeah. So he took care of everything. Oh yeah. And we had to get. Yeah, I had to call the court to see if we could make this all happen uh, and yeah. make special arrangements for him. And so he, he came down to court. But, his, th- but there again, when, when you, now you're cooperating with us, we're going to work with you. Yeah, yeah we didn't work. He, he wasn't a, a bad person. No. He had a track record of lying mm-hmm. um, that was recorded on his criminal record. So yep. he, uh, I don't think he learned his lesson then, um, but I'm pretty sure he learned his lesson in this instance. And I think that to me kind of goes back to a, a, a bigger thing of the same people that are not great people against state police or, or local PD – the same people we deal with, mm-hmm, you know, absolutely. The poachers or the liars or the thieves mm-hmm. or the or the frauds. We deal with the same people just in the woods, right? That's what it was really rewarding when I ran his record and I said, "This guy has a, a recorded history of being a liar mm-hmm. and a thief." And when he realized that he can't run away from it in the woods, that to me was just awesome. Yeah, and that that's so important that you look at people's records. I remember covering an accident. Uh, this guy failure to pay a tickets in New York. He had like six of them. Oof. So a New York resident, I, I, I cash bailed him. So I said, hey, you're getting arrested and I'm going to cash bail you. $500 cash bail. He doesn't come to court. Six years later, he's down in the Hanover area driving a minivan with his wife and his <laughs> two kids. He gets pulled over and he gets hooked. Nice. For, you know, that because he never appeared in court. So there was, a, there was a warrant out for his arrest. Nice. Six years later, I get called from, hey, we hooked this guy. I'm like, I don't even know who this Ooh. guy is. So I look at him, and then it dawns on me. He was involved with an accident, and I, I, I cash bailed him. So we set up. He comes to court, and he comes back, and he's like, uh, that was a different person back then. I am so sorry. I never, ever thought that would have happened. But uh, here I am with my wife and my two kids in the minivan, and I got hooked. He goes, you have no idea what my my wife is like. Who is this person? Mm. Who is this? And it, it wasn't even a big deal why he got. But he he had to. It was a misdemeanor. He had to appear back in court. Yeah. So it was just you know. I, I don't think he had a driver's license and several other issues there. But we cash bail him and he doesn't show up. Just like his record yeah. said. Yeah. So that's why I did it, and that's how I convinced somebody to say, "Hey, this guy's got a record of not paying stuff." So this is why we cash bailed him. Yeah. So, so good, good. Listen, watch that record and listen to it because that, that 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 tells us a story about those people's demeanor and how we deal with them for sure. Oh yeah. 
You know, the one thing I, I think about that, that's probably the most horrible thing we deal about is accidents and a lot of those fatals uh, from bumpers to fatalities to fatalities that involve investigations because there's alcohol involved to, you know, felony DWIs, pretty serious on a snowmobile and takes a lot of effort on our part to, especially if we find a DWI out in the woods and stuff like that. But covering some of these accidents has been, uh, yeah, that's, that's part of your responsibility. It's tough. It's, uh, can be graphic at times because of the high speeds snowmobiles have, uh, certainly the Colonel and I, uh, on ours, on our podcast, we talk about one that we drove up on. So it's definitely, uh, you know, something you deal with and you, you've had your share and you're going to have your share of them continuing on. Yeah. So any of those stick out in your. Yeah. I think to kind of start that is I remember when I was being interviewed to get hired, Jim, now Lieutenant Jim Neal and did my background investigation and, and I never forget it sitting in at the time, Bristol PD. And he asked me, um, you know, have you ever seen a dead body? Yeah. You know, I've been to plenty of wakes or funerals. Mm-hmm. He's like, no, 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 no. Like a dead body outside a casket. Like, nope. I was 20, that 21. And he's like, well, how many do you think is a game warden sees every year? I'm thinking, well, you know, four or five. He's like, try like eight to 12 a year. And I'm thinking, what? Mm. You know, I knew we dealt with rescues and I knew we cracked, but I, I just, I almost didn't believe him. I, yeah. I guess I didn't because I'm like, okay, okay, Mr. Nealon. <laughs> you know, and lo and behold, not long after I got hired, we deal with a lot of mm-hmm. casualties and a lot of, we're first responders and we're not only first responders, but we're first to give aid. And mm-hmm. Sometimes we save a life and sometimes we don't. And, and I think that that really hits home when you're, when you're trying, when you realize that, you know, a, a, I call it a drunk, but someone that's been drinking, they made a poor choice, but they still don't deserve to die right. because of a poor choice. Right. Um, e- even someone that wasn't drinking or was it, it's hard to pull up and realize they were out here trying to enjoy, maybe on the wrong side, and now they're not going to make it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's hard. And, yeah, I've done quite a few and some really bad ones. And <laughs> thinking about the ones that, that jump out is, uh, you know, one in Nash Stream. Uh, I think you were a lieutenant. Nash Stream was sadly alcohol-related. It was a big group of guys, friends, brothers, sons. I had mm. a son with them. Um, I had an intern at the time. It was, a, I think, maybe even a Sunday night. Yeah, Saturday or Sunday, and it wasn't good snow conditions. I was still out. Got called for a snowmobile crash where non-responsive, not breathing, and that's not a good call because you know immediately that the fact is already there that they're not going to live because people at the scene don't see it. No Mm. signs of life. Uh, An intern and I rolled up, and I had now I got an intern who's uh, not a sworn officer with me, and I had to have a discussion on the drive there. I said, "Listen, you are going to see some things, hear some things, and do some things that you might not be comfortable with, and I'm going to give you options to not do it. So you need to tell me if you don't want to see this, you're not obligated to, and you're not going to be judged because technically they are working for the department. They have an intern gets signed up and Mm -hmm. goes under all that stuff, and he was really good. Um, He said, "No, I want to do it." I said, "At any time you want to step out." No problems here. Right. So we went in, and sure enough, this poor guy had gone off a corner and hit a tree, and he was very much deceased. You know, first thing on scene for me, I was the first responder, is you got to check for a pulse. Yes, initially looks like no signs of life, but that's not confirmed. Mm-hmm. I'm not a doctor, can't pronounce death. Right, absolutely. But we go for, you know, go for a pulse. I got no pulse. I move him to see if I can see any breathing, nothing. Medical crew comes in, and, and now it's gone from, our first thing is, is to save a life. I can't do that. 
realize I can't do it. So now I immediately transition to investigation. Who, what, when, how, why. And then it, it, I realize there's no one here to give me the story. I have mm. no, no witnesses. I have tracks everywhere. I got foot tracks from the side of the trail to the guy before I got there. Mm. So someone found him. And the guy, it's not like it was a passerby because someone unrelated to him would have stayed. So normal people do. Yeah. So then I realized this is not good. This is, you know, I mean, we could be talking a homicide. Did someone bump him off the trail? Is it neg- negligent <laughs> homicide? I mean, your mind, my mind is rolling. Mm-hmm. And I had enough years on where I think I had a lot of tools in my toolbox to, to deal with this and deal with it well. Um, I call for backup. I got Eric Fluette coming. I think it might have been just me and Eric. We're trying to figure out what's going on. To kind of fast forward a little, uh, his, sadly, I interviewed a local who lied to me initially um, and said that he didn't know who was with him, but a person he couldn't recognize or identify gave him the information and then left. Um, and with, he, he made the call. He made the call to 911. Mm-hmm. Someone that rolled up, kept their helmet on, and said, so-and-so you know, is dead. you got to call 911, and then left. Mm-hmm. There's way more to the story than that. This is a small town. Mm-hmm. If you don't know who the person is, you're going to describe everything you can. Right. This person didn't want to describe everything yeah. they could, so... I left that. That was not my uh, number one thing to investigate that night of who that was because I had other things to deal with. Right. Um, so we ended up tracking down who was with them. Um, and the reasons they didn't stay is because they were drunk as well and they didn't want to get in trouble. And uh, it became this investigation of, of kind of sadness, but I had to put out a press release to seek information. And I mm-hmm. put out the truth. And it, it was difficult. I think you approved the press release the yeah. next day of – okay, this is what happened. And I, it wasn't an exaggeration. He was left there to die. Right. And, and just typing it to me was awful. And I just, I couldn't help thinking, I did find out, I guess it was later on that the son was with him. And I just couldn't help thinking that that trail where he died in Nash Stream, I had snowmobiled by more hundreds of times as a kid. And I just can't imagine my dad crashing and leaving him there. Even if I was drunk, Right. it just didn't, it didn't settle well with me and it really, ah, it still bothers me. And, you know, we sent that press release out and it sparked mm-hmm. a big fire. And, In uh, the family. Oh, yeah. And mm. I got some phone calls and you got some phone calls. Mm-hmm. And that was, a, that was a long invest. I bet it was a week or so of Eric and I, you know, hitting the roads and banging on doors. Doing and interviews. Doing interviews and, and little piece of information. People mm-hmm. want to point us there but not tell us who. And mm-hmm. that doesn't make me mad. I don't, you need to tell me more. Oh, all I need is a direction. You yep. taught me that one. Yeah. That's the line. <laughs> I don't need a name. I don't need a plate number. Just point me where to go. Yep. We can do our job. And that, that was a serious case of that. They'd say, uh, you might want to go to that house. And that's mm. it. I don't know who to talk to. I, I don't know anything. Eric and I ended up, we worked hard in that case and, and we got everybody involved that was there. We, we didn't charge anybody with DWI because obviously we don't have the evidence for that. But everyone that lied to us or left the scene or had any involvement that, inv- that we could connect to uh, a violation or a criminal offense, they got charged. Mm. There was habitual offenders that shouldn't have been driving. He got arrested. People that lied to me about said they didn't know who the person that called 911, they got arrested. Mm-hmm. But And you said it earlier. We come down hard so they get educated. They learn a lesson. And I think there was a lot of community and family support yeah. in doing that because the, you're right. It was unbelievable, like you said, oh. when you're writing the press release. Yeah. There was a lot of backing there for you to do that because people did the wrong thing. Yeah. And, and then what you hit on earlier is we come down hard, but then in the end, when people see the light, 
when they realize, wow, we were in the wrong, wow, they didn't give up, and we've been had, now it's time for us to return the favor that they finally told the truth. There's mm-hmm. a reward for that in my book. Oh, absolutely. You know, even if it goes to the bitter even end. Even if it goes to the bitter end. So. In the end, if they see the light, you have to reward that. Otherwise, they will not see the light ever again, and they mm-hmm. will hate you. And wardens stay in a patrol for decades. Yep. I don't plan on going anywhere. Mm-hmm. And um, and now I'm actually good friends with one of the guys that I arrested. Mm-hmm. I, I actually snowmobile with him. Mm-hmm. Uh, he learned his lesson. Yeah. And, and let me tell you. Um, you change behavior. That's yeah. the whole bottom yeah. line is changing re- behavior. And it was really cool. I guess I'll say it at the end, but we charged them. And in the end, everyone's still got a charge, but they get treated very well. Mm-hmm. And that in turn, even, they didn't have respect for us at the beginning when they lied. But I guarantee you and know to this day that they have respect for us now because we treated them well. We returned that respect to them. Yeah, because they lost a loved one and a friend yeah. in the same boat. Yeah, yeah they, they made the wrong decisions. Yeah. But like you said, in the end, no matter where they come out, we got to try to make it right because they're doing the right thing now. Yeah, and and what I was going to jump to is the guy that I actually snowmobile with now, one of the guys that lied to me, um, he has told me that he still hangs out with some of those guys that still don't like me, which is fine. Mm-hmm. I'm not in this job for everyone to like me. Um, but he said openly that he has been around groups and they talk crap about me and he's like i stand up and i defend you and i tell that short story of how we lied you got me and you still treated me decent mm-hmm. and to me i'm like that is what a game warns all about yeah i would agree you know and and i think all law enforcement but with us we're so we're the police of the woods like you said but we we have such limited resources and they just see a person they see a uniform they don't see you know a cruiser with a you know, police department and, and, and people in just uniforms everywhere. We're a one-man team or a two-man mm-hmm. team or a man and a woman team. We're so limited. They see us as, you know, the Army, army of One, man. Mm-hmm. And it's, to me, it's really cool to, to get that respect back because you gave it. Right. Nope, that, that, that's a great point to make. One of the accidents that I always remember, because I, I always put myself in your guys' shoes, and the accident you and Eric did in Pittsburgh oh. where the guy got run over. That was bad. And I don't think I would have gone to the extent that you guys did. Yeah. I, I, to be honest with you, I knew it. Especially, you know, as you get older, you know, it's almost like uh, it's, it's, yeah, this is, I've done this a hundred yeah. times. This is the way it happened. Here's the paperwork and there it goes. And it's done. And, and you guys took that case to the ultimate and proved something that I would have never done or would even had the suspicion. Or if I had the suspicion, I would have probably wouldn't have gone to the extent you guys did. So if you want to share that one, because that, that always sticks in my mind, because I always try to put myself in that place. I would have liked to thought I would have done that yeah. stuff. But, uh, you know, Glenn, well, I, you guys, I, you and Eric did an outstanding I'll, job on that investigation. I'll very much defend you. I, you would have. And I'm not saying that just because I'm sitting here in front of you or I have utmost respect for you, but everything that happened in this case, you're going to hear about, you would have done it. Because um, you would have had that, that sixth sense of something isn't right. Mm. It was a cookie cutter at first. And then the things that happened, Wayne Saunders would have said, Lucas, go do that. <laughs> yeah. You might not have done it, but you would have told someone to do I, I it. I do miss that. In your, in Lucas, your, do that at least. Lucas, do this. <laughs> you know? But I think that's what transferred to me and Eric. You know, mm. you trained me and Eric for a lot of years. And it mm. was, you know, yeah, maybe you weren't the guy doing the task, but to be the man that identified it and tell us what to do and how to do it. Mm. You're doing it, man. You're with us, you yeah. know, and that's, I know that's what you miss. I know you miss I being in the, in the game and, <laughs> you know, um, you know, I heard somewhere along the lines, it's, 
it's being involved in the stuff, the nitty gritty, the fun stuff. And it's not for a feather in your cap. It's just, it's exciting. Mm. It's, 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 it's the camaraderie of it. It's the brother and sisterhood of it. It's the, it's the, it's the goal at the end. It's these stories of saying, this is what we de- got dealt. It was awful. We didn't give up. And in the end, it was awesome. Mm. We did our job and they're not that bad in the end either. Yep. You know, but absolutely. So this case, um, yeah, Eric and I got called out late. Uh, I don't even know. They all start to blend, but <laughs> we got called out late one night um, to go to Pittsburgh. And we were, Chris Egan obviously was off. The Colbert Patrol was, oh, is this going to be bad? No, that's good. Okay. Well, um, after an hour and 35 minutes of talking, you need to something to do something. <laughs> um, so we called to Pittsburgh and we kind of started this new thing, a serious crash you got to have two people go. Mm-hmm. And when they're serious, you can't do it all. You know, we used to be told, oh, do it more yourself. It's, it's a lot. Um, so we go to the go to the staging area. Here comes a guy on a rescue sled. The fire departments up here are really good to us. We they're have awesome. Such an amazing working relationship. Sometimes they take pictures for us before evidence gets mm-hmm. altered or destroyed. I mean, it's huge because we work with them and they work with us. So here comes this guy on a uh, rescue sled out of the trail. It is cold. It is Pittsburgh. It, I don't even remember the, the month, but it was cold. Um, and he, he appears drunk to us. I mean, the guy's, uh, you know, mumbling and fumbling and bumbling. And we're like, oh, boy, this is going to be not a fun one. You know, proving a drunk and where he was. Doesn't know his name. Couldn't tell us where he was. And, and we've dealt with so many drunks. Mm-hmm. We started thinking this is it. So I'm like, Eric, we got to get in there. we got to smell his breath. We smell nothing. I'm like, okay, is it drugs? Is, you know, we're still working on that impaired level. Mm-hmm. And it just doesn't make sense. And one thing we kind of got taught years ago was the doctors want to see the helmet, no matter what kind of crashes. We, we get, hey, where's this helmet? And there's group, this guy is in a group of sleds. Oh, here's his helmet. And Eric and I look at it, and there's an indentation on the back of his helmet that at the time looked like a hex uh, shape, like a hexagon of a, um, of a bolt, a bolt head. And Eric and I look at each other like, man, that's strange. You must have, you know, hit his head on a snowmobile. You know, we're, we're not minimizing it, but it's it's odd. Oh, mm-hmm. Okay, he hit his head too. Okay, maybe that's why he's messed up. And we're trying to figure this out. Who's going where? And here comes this other sled in the group. And uh, Eric and I saw it at the same time. We look. He's facing us. And his front bumper is tweaked just a little. And Eric's a sled head too, you know, just like I am. We mm-hmm. like sleds. We, this, this is a Yamaha Nitro. It's a big, heavy sled. It's fast. He's done all these modifications to it. And it's a perfect sled, but it's a little off. So Eric and I, and we ask him, hey, was your bumper like that, uh, you know, before you rode? Oh, no, my bumper's fine. And he looks at it and goes, oh, I don't remember that when I started riding. And Eric and I are like, holy Lord. We start, well, where were you in the group? Oh, I was right behind the guy that crashed. Light bulb. And that's where you would have been like, okay, this is not great. Mm. Um, at the time, we didn't have much more than just suspicion. So we go to the scene. The guy goes to the hospital. As soon as we get to the scene, Eric has this, Eric at the time had this great LED light, big scene light. And we realize that the victim was first, comes over, rise, misses a corner, goes off the trail. We can see his body impression, and then we see tracks run right over the top of him. You can see him distinctly. And getting back to the tracking people, the guy that got hit was on a skidoo with dual runner skis. The guy with the Yamaha Nitro had single runner skis, so we could see what sled was which. You know, somewhat um, not concrete, but pretty circumstantial. Well, yeah, it starts to narrow it down. Starts to narrow it down, and uh, we realized this guy ran over his buddy. He hit him with his sled. 
Um, so we realized, okay, we got to go confiscate sleds and interview people and take gear. And now it's gone from a crash to a full-blown criminal investigation. I mean, if this guy dies, we're talking negligent homicide. You know, I mean, mm. now we're now we're doing real big work. So we go to this, we go to the camp where they were staying. We confiscate this Yamaha. Now we see more damage, and we think we see paint transfer from the helmet. I mean, this is, you know, the CSI stuff. This right. is the cool stuff people watch on TV. We're doing it in the woods at below zero with a flashlight, and mm. you know, like, mm-hmm. um, and, and that to me is motivating. It's a more of a challenge, you know. And I think we all like a good challenge in this this line of work. Uh, tell me I can't do something, and watch me. Mm. <laughs> you know, I think that was you too. Yes, uh, no watch me. Yeah, Colonel, tell you, hey, no, Wayne, we ain't gonna do that. Watch me, Colonel. <laughs> watch me. You know. And then two months later, there you are. Anyways, yeah. Um, so we end up taking all this stuff, and you were on, and we come back. We we call state police, major crime. I mean, um, the laboratory, uh, major crime lab comes up. They do an analysis, a chemical analysis, an impression analysis. They do all this stuff for mm, us, which is awesome. It was, and and I never forget this. You had done it before. Yeah, you were the you were the supervisor because we all Eric and I were like, I think we got to do that, and you were like, Hey, hey, okay, this is what we're gonna do, and it was like, Oh. Uh, well, this is easy because you've done it. Yep. And to me, great supervisor. When you've been there and done that, you were the guy that motivated and did get into it. Way easier for us and confidence. Right. And several times I've done that, you know, when the snow machine hit the dog sledder, that was huge and it was a hit and run and we had to find him. So that was, you know, yeah. taking all the, the the paint transfer, the actually the cloth to paint yeah. transfer. Think about the speed and indication oh. of that. And then Delane Brown did one too, where the same type of thing, uh, you know, st- actually, you know, studs in the guy's helmet, uh, so that they came up and uh, re- redid that. And it, yeah, so you're right, we did do that, and yeah. we've done that, and now you've done it, and you're gonna ha- you get that experience Someday. in your pocket, and yeah. you know, for these very detailed things, and you need a crime lab for that. You need to tell them what they told you, and to, to match that up, and say, hey, this bolt hit this helmet. Yeah. You guys brought that to them. Here's my suspicions. Now prove it. And yeah, they and, did. And what what was really cool is the uh, the pictures we took at the scene. We take measurements. I mean, mm. we're bringing out a 300-foot tape. We're doing a, a crime scene line. And we're doing it all to the point where we get to figure out where his sled went off the trail, how far from his sled he went, what his body direction was. We found hand impressions from his glove. We knew which side his helmet was hit on, so we knew which way he was looking. Mm-hmm. You know, all that stuff. We were able to deduce it all and put it into a sketch and show it to the major crime lab and they were able to say so we thought that it was a bolt it actually turned out to be a reflector when the bumper bent when he initially hit him the side reflector actually bent which is weird it kind of crumpled to create that what i call a perfect shape of what looked like a bolt head but it, Mm -hmm. it bent in the shape of a hex head and that's what made the impression on the helmet a pointed bent piece of metal really and when we got that report back i initially read him like the what and we eric and i went and looked at the helmet and the bumper we took off and sent Mm -hmm. down and packaged and we're like now we see it and that became a non-fungible piece of evidence that can't dispute that there isn't anything else like that that could have done that because it formed itself Mm -hmm. exactly and and uh we ended up charging the guy with some really serious charges and i i don't want to say that i you know, believe him. He says he didn't know he hit him. I use a 
use the term a lot, and it's understandable but still unacceptable. Mm-hmm. I understand you said you don't know you hit him, but you were so close to him coming over that, that rise at night, mind you, that you were not in control of your snowmobile to avoid a collision, and you hit your friend. You drove over him. Even if you don't know you hit him, we're telling you now you did. Mm-hmm. You need to take responsibility. Mm-hmm. And um, the guy ended up living. He still has some issues. Um, he had serious brain trauma. Mm-hmm. And uh, and you worked with that family very good, too, by the way. I mean, you became, you, you and his wife, yeah. you had many, yep. many, many a conversation. And this is all important that we deal with the families and deal with them right. Yeah, so to the, for sure. To the point where, you know, uh, New Hampshire, what's the outdoor day at headquarters there? The um, Wild uh, New Hampshire Day. Yeah. It, he... The family, his wife and him called me the year after. It, got, it took a year to get that case in mm. court. And by the way, the guy did plead guilty. He paid a lot of money in fines and you know, put on probation. And he, uh, I can tell you, he learned his lesson too. But um, the the victim there, uh, I mean, he came to Wild New Hampshire Day, pictures with me. You know, he, he was very happy that we did our job and did it well and could prove what we did. Mm-hmm. You know, really big really big reward for eric and i I, we work really well together and same thing you you see a crack you work it until it gets bigger and you expose the truth Mm -hmm. you do do the best you can sometimes it doesn't always come together you know evidence was destroyed we're human we make mistakes Mm -hmm. Uh, we miss something or we we don't do something you know it happens but Mm -hmm. that that was a true success story of we did our job did it well because we were motivated to do it, and uh, he was very thankful. And yeah, he's he's he actually is still snowmobiling. That's he, great. He bought a different snowmobile. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, he can. His wife never rode. This is great. His wife never rode with him. He used to ride with friends, and I actually saw him. He wanted to meet me on the trail. His wife will never let him ride without her, and they bought snowmobiles for them, and they now they ride together. Wow! So, yeah, great. Pretty great sure his end wife of the won't story. Him. Yeah, <laughs> great, great end of the story. Yep. You know, something else that comes up is the, the donations we've got because I remember the trailer that we actually used to transport that sled came from the, the Lopes, uh, Gary Lopes, and uh, his friends. Gary Lopes died in a tragic snowmobile as well snowmobile accident as well but his friends wanted to carry on his memory and his passion for snowmobile and worked with us for many years in getting us things we need from from cameras on our helmets to communications to full-blown trailers and snowmobiles dan derosa organized those folks and uh you know the Lopes family, and all came together to to keep Gary's memory alive. And doing a lot of good work with New Hampshire Fishing Game, the Pittsburgh Fire, and the P- Pittsburgh Police Department, and and thanking those first responders for all their efforts to try to to save Gary and uh, to investigate and work on that. That so trailer was used to transport that sled to have that success. Yeah, I and, mean, and I, it just goes back. I wasn't involved in that investigation. I, I was in the district, mm-hmm. you know, but that to me, it just speaks volume of the quality of work that we do with, you know, constituents that don't always want to meet us, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, no one plans to die, but when, when they do crash and we deal with it, we deal with it with the utmost professionalism. We have compassion for people because not everyone still snowmobiles, but we doing the job. So mm-hmm. technically we do, we understand. And, and that was a real good example of how well we do our job and, and a family, a group of people want to give thanks back, but also at the same time, remember their loved one that's gone. Right. Who had a passion for snowmobiling. 
Exactly. And and uh they've been a great group of friends now, the Lopes mm-hmm. family. And and yeah, they've donated everything from enclosed snowmobile trailers to snowmobiles because through you, um and and them accepting our, you know, requests. They, we've identified weaknesses because we're a self-funded agency. Yeah, we don't we, have deep pockets. Mm-hmm. You know, we're not funded by general funds. Your tax dollars don't come to New Hampshire yep. Fishing Games. So when a snowmobile registration only gets us three, four snowmobiles a year, but we got to buy open trailers, that that stinks. Especially mm-hmm. for someone like me, I like my snowmobile to last a long time and be good. So when I do give it to a southern warden, it's in good shape. Right. Um, and through the DeRosa family and, and organization, we were able to sit, uh, identify a deficiency, and they said, we're going to buy you an enclosed trailer. And I remember being shocked. And we're talking six, $7,000. Oh, yeah. They put it together. They ordered it to our specifications. They lettered it. Yeah. It is a mate. I tow it now. It's bounced mm-hmm. around a little. Yeah. Um, but it has been assigned to me, and, and I'm proud to tow it around. At first, I'm like, I don't want it to be lettered. But now it's it's kind of a proud yeah, you, thing. You want to drive my truck around? Yeah. So. No, I don't want your podcast. Yeah. <laughs> no. But but it's a good memorial because it is lettered in you know big red Gary Lopes is right. you know is right on the side you yeah. know in memory of and you know it's just it leaves a, a legacy of snowmobile enthusiasm and passing that on to the first responders that respond every day and certainly my hats off to all those people that go out there you know volunteers and such like that and to you guys and you know I just I think that's probably a, a good good way to end it so if you're driving around new hampshire and you happen to see a lettered up enclosed trailer make sure you see if it's gary because i think most of them are say uh in memory of you know big red gary lopes so that's uh you know it's one of my fortes is dealing with people and that's probably why i came into podcasting is i have a passion for people i want to tell your stories i want to tell the Lopes stories. I want to make that all connection out there so that, that there are great people out there. And even that the people we deal with are good people. And, and it's nice to see that transition in that, that we change behavior. And I think that's a, a legacy. A yeah. Legacy. And, I, and I think stuff like the trailer, um, the outreach that we've done and, and just being, you know, the TV show has helped us out a lot too, mm-hmm. you know, with promoting what we do but really educating people mm-hmm. you know and, and understanding you talked about the, the economic impact of snowmobiling yes huge. It's, it is huge what mm-hmm. we're in the recreation business hunting yes. fishing snowmobile nativing we manage you know the habitat and the wildlife and the trails we keep all that open and accessible to the public to come up and enjoy mm-hmm. um, it's a really big part of new hampshire and you know I, i'm proud to be a part of it and you know we got to me there's a long line of people that train us and teach yeah. us. You got the experience, you pass it on, you know, and I look forward to, you know, passing it on to others. And, and we're not going to end there, Glenn. I just looked down and I got to talk about the governor's ride. Because, <laughs> uh, maybe that's the place to end because, yeah. uh, you know, we got a, a pretty cool governor that's really in tune to outdoors mm-hmm. and the outdoor recreation. And not everybody knows because uh, it was supposed to be a secret because, yeah, uh, you know, the cameras would have been following you That's probably right. that day. But uh, yeah. certainly that you got to interact with the governor. He got on a snowmobile and you guys got to, you know, he, I'm sure he got a ton of information from you that day. That's a pretty neat experience. So It's, it's actually really cool to, to, you know, potentially end it on that is a common uh, line you've heard is Nash Stream. Um, mm. I, I became... Uh, friendly with someone that worked for the governor, Elliot, friend of mine, Elliot, uh, you know, lined it up, came up with this idea that I offered up. Uh, the governor went into office. I said, hey, if, you know, because we're not forgotten about the North Country, but it's always good to pull people up here and show what we have because I believe we have a lot to offer. And uh, 
we set up a snowmobile ride in Nash Stream. So to me, it was just a, a I mean, I'm not, a, <laughs> I'm not a political person, but when you see someone of that uh, position, it's, it demands respect. And yeah, when Governor Chris Sununu is going to go riding with Glenn yeah. Lewis, the current governor. Yeah. Yeah, was, no, that's, that, that, I don't care. Democratic, independent, <laughs> no, Republican, matter. doesn't matter. That's, doesn't that's, that's matter. a pretty, pretty cool thing. When it, and that's what I think is really important about what Fishing Game does is it shouldn't be real political because everyone has a vested interest in what we do, recreation, mm-hmm. hunting, fishing, OHRV stuff. So he wanted to come up and experience it, and yeah. I threw out an offer. You know, we got a family camp in Nash Stream now, which is awesome. You know, my parents actually moved to Stark, which is so great for me. They're mm-hmm. 20 minutes from me, 15 minutes, and we continue to do that same stuff. So we, we set up the governor's ride. It was, it was, it was like the biggest – most important snowmobile trip I've ever planned, I think, mm-hmm. um, to make sure things go well. You know, how experienced is the governor? Who's coming up for his, you yeah, know. Yeah, you hate to have a crash that day. Oh, boy. <laughs> I'm just thinking the requirement to do a press release, you know. Mm-hmm. Chris of Concord, New Hampshire. Oh, boy. I think I'd recuse myself and say someone else can type this press release. That's one for the lieutenant. Oh, boy. Yeah. So, you know, I chose the right snowmobile for him. The mm-hmm. troopers that are coming in that are, they're calling bodyguards. Yeah. One's a good friend of mine. How yeah, much experience does she have mm-hmm. I, you hit it on the head i do not want to crash mm-hmm. on the day the governor rides with glenn lucas so uh it was great we unloaded in the morning rode into nash stream to a friend's camp uh had a great lunch talked about exactly what we do you know yeah. snowmobile enforcement the ohrv enforcement the hunting fishing and and you hit it on the head he understands what we do how we do it and how important the outdoors is in new hampshire mm-hmm. and absolutely uh, yeah, that was a that was a really neat day. I got a good picture with the governor. Um, you know, so someday when I'm old and fat and retired, sitting in a chair, I can remember. Look at that! I was tall and skinny once, and mm-hmm. I was, I was uh, riding with the governor one day in yeah. Nash Stream, my place. Mm-hmm. And I'm just I'm excited that the governor took the opportunity to do that too, to experience snowmobiling, to go up there to to talk to you about the outdoors and the, the yeah. importance of it. Because I just uh, my my hats off to him because I think every governor a should do that. Yeah. Because it is such an important part economically. The woods, the the opinions out there are are, are numerous and many, but you know just to get out there and experience it and, and yeah, my my hats off to the governor for that. And, and I guess one thing that really resonated with me was, you know, I want to cater to the governor. Whatever you want, mm-hmm. you, you know. Sir, and, and I said, is this, do you want me to contact the local papers? And he's like, and I remember him saying, no, 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 no. I want to experience the real side of it. This mm. is not a publicity thing. And I remember thinking, that's awesome. He that wants awesome. to come and get the nitty gritty, not a handshake and a picture and say, I'm here because I'm amazing. Mm-hmm. No, he's here because he cares. Right. You know, and to me, that really showed through. And, and uh, yeah. It, it was, wasn't a Ray Burton ride. <laughs> God bless Ray. But God no. bless Ray. Yeah, you know. no, it wasn't a Ray Burton ride. This was this was a real governor that you know cares about what we do and mm-hmm. fish and game department and what New Hampshire cares about, yeah. which is the outdoors. Yeah, and Ray Burton was a governor's council that was very uh, North Country orientated. He covered the North Country and was just into every aspect of the North Country and always yeah. used to organize a snowmobile ride every yeah. year with the, the, the Trails Bureau and we'd always go with them and get pictures with Ray and he was a, it was a huge resource and he, he loved the North Country as well as his whole district but certainly uh, yeah he was an influence as well whenever I think of the governor coming I think uh, yeah Ray would have been proud oh yeah yeah <laughs> yeah and like you said Ray was really good to us in the North Country and 
it was nice to pull the governor up here. Yeah, what about other governors? Jean Shaheen was instrumental in a few things. Uh, Chris Egan can tell the story as she's dedicating a, uh, a new bathhouse at Coleman State Park. Here comes the, the late sergeant as I'm driving around <laughs> in the middle of her speech, and then all of a sudden I realize that, uh-oh. Oh, yeah, so. We'll but. have to save a story for next time to remind me of the story, if you invite me back, that is, to yeah. uh, talk about the, um, the county attorney Snowville Ralph Wayne. <laughs> Uh, we don't have time, but <laughs> if you if I do get invited back, I'd love to tell the story. Now you're not going to get invited back. <laughs> <laughs> we should I, go talk to the county attorney and have oh, him to see if we can get him wide eyed again. That's super good. <laughs> so, but no, I really appreciate you having me. I think this has been a great experience. I, I think I can join the bandwagon of saying uh, I was a little apprehensive, but this is actually really cool. Yeah, and I you think it job. connects a lot of people to snowmobiling and understanding what we do with snowmobile-wise, and uh, hopefully it's entertaining along the way. No, thanks a lot, Gon. I really appreciate it. Fun stuff. Hey, thanks for listening to the Warden's Watch podcast. Getting a feel for snowmobile patrol, taking adventures with Glenn and I, and it was a big part of my career, snowmobiling. And it's a big part of being a game warden in the wintertime. Knowing how to operate those machines, knowing how to use them in deep snow, knowing how to use them in critical incidents, so important. And they are a lifeline for the game warden and for the public. Thank you for listening. Episode 28, Sergeant Glenn Lucas, Snow Machines. Please join me, Game Warden Wayne Saunders, and other Game Wardens on our adventures, protecting wildlife, saving lives, and having fun, all while serving the public and the natural resources of our planet. Listen to the tales and experience of those who work in the outdoors while being entertained with stories about encounters with poachers, wildlife investigation, murder investigation, near-death experiences, search and rescue missions, wildlife interactions from Game Wardens around the country and around the world. When I retired, I realized I couldn't let go of that legacy, but rather wanted to share the passion, the commitment, and the stories of those men and women that call themselves Game Wardens. This is Game Warden, Wayne Saunders, and this is Warden's Watch.